So, you know, when the grid fails, which it does often, especially in places like Rincon and Culebra, there's this there's this solar system that kicks in immediately. And and the fire fighters, police officers, they have continuous access to power to charge radios, computers, the 911 system, cooling fans, and the community knows that this is a place they can seek help. In part two, Hunter explains his NGO's mission to save lives in hurricane-hit regions by installing solar power units in first responder, fire and police stations, and how he co-founded Solar Responders with London-born, Las Vegas-based fire captain Richard Burt. Hunter discusses his mission to help the disadvantaged people of Puerto Rico, still devastated by the 2018 hurricane, and his vision to extend the renewable technology to other regions threatened by the ever-increasing risk of life-threatening hurricanes and climate change. Finally, we cover his principles, his influences, and his impossible advice. I hope you enjoy the thoughtful, humble, yet indomitable spirit of Hunter Johansson. So what you've done with the Friends of Rockaway, with your friend Mike and Mm -hmm. Post Sandy, and then the other community activism done with Scott in the city. Something happened after you witnessed that catastrophic hurricane in Puerto Rico led you to create an NGO called uh, Solar Responders. Could you just talk to us about that experience yeah. and particularly the impact it had on you? Mm. I remember when Hurricane Katrina happened. I was in uh, undergraduate in Vermont and uh, I was young. I was 19, 20 at the time and it felt that at the time it felt like it felt far even though it was it was in New Orleans I'd never been to New Orleans before and I remember feeling this urge to like help but I was in school and looking back I, w- I wish I would have went down there to see what was going on when you know and then when Sandy happened you know it was seeing the devastation firsthand I realized that hey this is a trend like there's there's a, a massive problem here we're not ready for this we're not responding properly people are losing their lives and they shouldn't be and when maria happened i was like this is i i have to be down here i cannot let my fellow americans struggle and be in this utter despair i i have to go down there it was this urge to just see what was going down there and i was right people were were desperate and and a lot of lives were lost that shouldn't have been lost because yeah. i think around three thousand people yeah reportedly died yeah and i don't think the death toll will ever be totally it will verified. It, it will never be and 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 that's a you know that's a conversation about like how how we think about death and in these situations of utter despair how do we measure this and and that's through storytelling too you know it's not just numbers it, we we have to be talking to people on the ground you know and it, it's and that was like my that was this this urge i wanted to hear people but you didn't know at the time what you were intending to do I you didn't not. go there you didn't go there with a plan to say the the solution is to build renewable energy resources for first responders. That wasn't at the forefront of your mind. So talk to us about how that idea came to you. And obviously, as we've said before, serendipity is a big part of why we do this podcast. So Mm -hmm. I'd love Mm -hmm. to understand what serendipitous encounter or situation led to you creating solar responders. I, I love this story and I love telling this story. So 
I was invited down by Marco Crepels. He's a currently uh, he's a he's a renewable energy advocate. He's a, f- a former banker, and I say that he's former. He doesn't do that anymore. But he's a massive renewable energy advocate. He invited me down to Puerto Rico. He has a small nonprofit. He and his wife, and uh, they invited me down and said, you know, I, I met him through through um, one of my board members, Zara Duffy, who's with uh, executive producer at Radical Media. He said, Hunter, you got to come down here. We we skyped. I never met Marco before. You know, he, but Marco, Marco and I share a lot in common. And within, I think I, I bought a ticket in a week. I was landed in, in San Juan and was greeted by Richard Burt of Las Vegas Fire and Rescue. And what was he doing there? He, so this, this is, this is the story. He, he was consulting with this, with Marco's nonprofit. Captain Burt is an amazing humanitarian. When the storm happened, he contacted the fire department and was, was able to get in touch with the chief of the fire department. And Captain Richard Burt, Burt asked the chief, he was like, how are you guys doing? What, what do you need? The captain said, we need power. So Captain Richard Burt's a renewable energy advocate. He's you know installed tons, I don't even know how many renewable energy systems on his neighbor's homes. He's led fights against the utility in Nevada for, for net metering. He's... This is a big passion of his. So he called his friend Marco and was like, hey, Marco, we got to install solar panels on some fire stations. This was even before solar responders. Mm -hmm. So um, Richard and Marco, through their connections, flew a private plane down to San Juan with help from, from friends and solar energy companies. And they were able to get three systems, I believe three, in the first month after the storm. Mm-hmm. I went down on a second deployment in January. So when I flew down, I was standing on top of a fire station. They were finishing up the installation in Barrio Obrero, in San, which is a area of San Juan. They were finishing up an installation, and, and when I, I drove to the fire station, I was on top of a firehouse with solar on it, and my my entire body just like lit up so to speak right and i was oh oh man this is something extremely special and whatever whatever you're doing marco and richard i want to join you so i I consulted with with this company this nonprofit, for a couple of months that's when i realized after working with this company for a couple of months i was like this this is too special to um for, for this needs to be a full time thing. It, it can't be part time, and it can't be operated from, you know, California or New York. It has to be here. Like I need to be on the ground. This needs to be scaled quickly. And that's when I decided. You know what? I, I'm gonna start my own organization specifically dedicated to this mission mm-hmm. because it wasn't something I didn't want to work on community centers. I didn't want to work on hospitals. I wanted to work specifically on fire and police and AMS stations, putting solar on them. So that's when I, I was like, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this on the ground, build the relationships that I need to build and do this the, the way that it should be done. So your mission is to enable first responders to save lives through renewable energy. Yes. You know, I, I tell this to, to, business people that I meet, we're not in this for profit, right? It's the impact and the empowerment piece. We're not 
we don't have anything proprietary in the in the for profit sense. Our strength is our relationships. Our strength is a community that we work with. Our strength is our partners, and and that's how we're able to get this work done. Because there's no other way to do this. So let's just. Yeah. Break this down into mm-hmm. where you are at the moment. There's 94 fire stations and 78 police stations and 20 EMS About, yeah. stations. Yeah, in private Port- EMS. Yeah, mm-hmm. in Puerto Rico. I've heard you say that the, the total cost of implementing solar mm-hmm. panels and the battery storage systems to enable all these first responders to be in a position to save lives, not if, but probably when another yeah. disaster hits because yeah. these things aren't going away, yeah. is around $11.5 million um, dollars mm-hmm. to do that. Where are you at the moment in terms of implementing this? So we are, we have two fire stations. It's it's our proof of concept in, in Culebra, which mm-hmm. is an island of about 1,800 people off the coast of Puerto Rico. And then Rincón, which is uh, on the west side of the island, for those who have been to Puerto Rico. I was so honored to have those stations donated the first in Rincón by Colin Jost, who's my soon to be brother-in-law and and then my sister donated the second station in Culebra. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you yeah, must be great. really proud. I'm so proud. Yeah. I mean my, my family saw this vision. Mm-hmm. They saw how much how important this was. So Colin his family has been with FDNY for a long time for generations and what, so, is, what does Colin do? He's an, so he's he's on SNL. He's like the head writer on SNL. So Collins, his family is a longtime firefighter. His mom, she's the f- former chief medical officer for Kerry Just, uh, f- former chief medical officer for FDNY. Oh, wow. She was the chief medical officer during 9-11. She's an incredible person. And so his, his grandfather was a firefighter in FD, you know, so he's a so long it's time. In the blood. It's in the blood. So when I told him about this, he was like, done. You know, wow. inc- Collins, an amazing soul. And my sister w- was there to support me at thousand percent mm-hmm. and you know there was there's this community and when i t- talked to her about this there was this community in culebra which is a very very vulnerable um part of puerto rico that island was running on diesel on diesel generator power for over a year for you know i can go into why that happened but my, my family they came in at a point when when i was like man wh- where is this going who's gonna back us you know you know big foundations are you know, they're hard to access. Mm-hmm. And so we have those two fire stations. We're, we're at this point of now that we have these two stations up, it's we're asking the question, what happens to those stations when we're gone? M- my goal is not to be in Puerto Rico in perpetuity. These are this is an island. It's of Puerto Ricans and for Puerto Ricans. Puerto Ricans are our family. It's it's it, Puerto Rico's a very special place to me and, and ever since I was a kid. It's a community that I'm very close to growing up in New York. Um, there's almost a million Puerto Ricans in New York and my best friends growing up were Puerto Rican. And so even if I were doing work in another any other part of the country or the world, you know, it's it's not my objective to to remain in a place or to, you know, it's just, it's just it should be for the people. So mm-hmm. then the question becomes, what do we do with these stations? These systems require maintenance. These buildings are owned by the government. They shouldn't be operated by a small little non you know mm-hmm. nonprofit based out of New York. They should be controlled. These systems should be owned and operated by the people. So I'm flying down. I'm flying. I'm moving to Puerto Rico January third. So it's less than it's like three weeks now, I guess. And you know the goal is to is to 
start conversations with with government officials and leaders, uh, you know, and, and saying, all right, we're going to we're going to raise the capital on a, as a, on a donation basis. We're going to provide five to 10 years of maintenance. We're going to contract locally. So all the maintenance, all the installation is done locally. We're going to empower people locally. But then what happens after 10 years? You know, the, these systems, batteries last a long time and they require monitoring what happens to the panels if one is damaged in or another hurricane. in another hurricane yeah. or and these these so the panels are I just want to say the the panels are windproof up to 175 miles per hour which is oh, a, so a category 5 yeah which is a new bu- building code that was passed uh-huh. after Maria um in Puerto Rico so but what happens to something if it's damaged you know if the warranty has to be you know enforced i'm not i'm not going to be i i can't be there so i mean yeah. that's one of mm-hmm. my my thoughts when I was reading in about what the work you're doing is surely this type of infrastructure and renewable energy strategy should be part, part, part of public policy mm-hmm. and something that government takes responsibility for. Yeah. You, you know, and not a small non-profit yeah, out of New York. Yeah, it, sh- it should be. You know, Puerto Rico is, they're not in a great fiscal situation and you know, there's a board, control board that, that oversees all of their finances. When, when you don't have a big tax base, uh, you don't have a lot of money to spend on those critical resources and infrastructure, especially even, you know, even in the States, we, we you know, infrastructure spending is, yeah. <laughs> right, it, it, it's, it's, we, we see, I see these reports all the time in these news headlines, you know, how, how infrastructure, infrastructure, you know, we need to be spending more on roads and bridges and so we on. All, we all want it. We all want it. We all need it. Mm. You know, we, we need, we need it. So, you know, the traditional backup for any first responder station, hospital, you know the the Morgan Stanley Building downtown, whatever it is, it, it's diesel generators, and so we're, we're targeting that. We're not competing with the grid. We're not we're not into telling Puerto Ricans how they should produce power. We're looking at the backup power. So the stations we're proposing they're tied to the grid, and and that's important for first responders. Redundancy. I keep saying this. Redundancy equals resiliency. Mm-hmm. So. So, you know, when the grid fails, which it does often, especially in places like Rincon and Culebra, there's this there's this solar system that kicks in immediately. And and the fire fighters, police officers, they have continuous access to power to charge radios, computers, the 911 system, cooling fans. And the community knows that this is a place they can seek help. So. Uh-huh. And that just yeah. and that that's the issue that didn't exist. In that Maria. didn't. Yeah. And so when 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 Maria happened. Diesel generators broke down because the government didn't have money for maintenance over the years and or they weren't able to get fuel to these parts of Puerto Rico, which is, you know, if you've been to Puerto Rico, the roads are treacherous. And, you know, when there's when there's rain, there's mudslides, a lot of roads shut down. So fuel delivery was very tough in in these areas outside of San Juan. Mm So if, if, if a responder, if a trained professional, and these men and women of the fire and police service are, they're professionals, and they're, they're just like any other first responder in the States, they just don't have the same resources that we have. But if they don't have access to power, the most basic need mm-hmm. of, of any person, especially a first responder, then they can't save lives, they can't do their jobs, and people die. Could you just talk about the issue, because a lot of people maybe hear about this and think, well, if you're rebuilding uh, and there's been so much money raised for rebuilding, 
why isn't that being taken care of? And I've heard you talk mm. about the Stafford Act and the Jones Act. Could yeah. you just maybe break that down for listeners as to why yeah. those are barriers? The, the Jones Act, you, you, Puerto Rico can't accept imports directly. Everything has to go through another port, gen- generally Florida, and then it comes to Puerto Rico. So it's when, when you need aid immediately, it is totally inefficient and ineffective to do that. Why would you go to Florida and then to... It slows uh, everything down. It slows everything down. And then the Stafford Act is about infrastructure renewal. Yeah, so it's it's more about di- specifically like disa- disasters and 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 what can what is allowed to be rebuilt with federal money after a storm. The Jones Act is something that affects Puerto Ricans on a daily basis because it's not just about disasters; it's about trade in general. Mm-hmm. Everything has to go through. Another port. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's totally. Why can't that be repealed? It can be. You know, I, I think we can get. A, you know, we can talk politics a little bit, but but you know, we have some great legislatures in in New York who are who pushing the repeal of the Jones Act. It needs to be, a, in my opinion, top priority mm-hmm. for the Democrats. Repealing an act that is so devastating for Puerto Rico where where goods and services are more a lot more expensive than they are in the states gas is more expensive you know everything has to be shipped through through another port so you know and for a population that has a, about a 45% poverty rate it 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 greatly affects them on a day-to-day basis the the Stafford Act there needs to be more ability for government agencies to spend recovery money on innovative solutions, you know, before a disaster happens. We need to be proactive in these in these disasters um, and not just building back what was the inefficiencies that existed um, before a storm. The, you know, the Stafford Act especially is harmful because you can't innovate. There are these, there are these billions of dollars available, specifically through FEMA, and there's obviously, over the past, uh, you know, 100 years or however long the Stafford Act has been around, there's new technologies. There's new ways of doing things that make sense now in these times. Solar, right, yeah. right, and 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 that government funding can't go towards paying for those those new types of survival and planning for disasters in the future. So, if the government, which is the entity that supports the public, like the greater public interest, right, can't pay for things that are going to save lives. It just, it makes no sense. The Jones Act was very hurtful in the immediacy of Hurricane Maria. You know, the Trump administration, they waived the Jones Act for, I think, a week or 10 days. So why don't you, let's just play this forward. You're going to, you will impact. You will have impact. You will have these solar panels and uh, batteries, storage batteries implemented in Puerto Rico. What happens after that? Because that's just one location. There's plenty of other Caribbean islands, and let's just say there are the rest of the U.S. that needs to migrate from diesel as a backup energy yeah. resource to this. So, what are you doing? Are you calling up Elon and saying, oh, yeah. "Hey, <laughs> you Elon, need a bit, bit of yes. help here." You know, you know. I think what I did early in my career with you know working in these different sectors, you know, and, and then bringing them together in this. Mm-hmm. 
effort. I feel that even to this day, I, I'm not a solar expert. I'm not a you know disaster mitigation expert. I'm not a nonprofit. You know, I'm not an expert in any one thing. But I can. You're a community builder. Community builder, right? And so it's what I I feel my effectiveness is is bringing these different areas together and the experts together. Um, and figuring this really complex situation out, which is in Puerto Rico, which is in d- disaster response in general, and then uh, you know the solar energy sector and so on, it combines all of these difficult issues into one. Mm. And the only way to do it is collaboration. So, so then the question comes: Yeah, what then? Right? You you asked it. What what happens then? It's a reason why I'm moving to Puerto Rico to fi- to figure out what that is. What is best for Puerto Rico? They've passed a renewable energy bill, setting benchmarks for renewable energy by 2050 for 100%. Uh, very tall task. What you know? This does this make sense for Puerto Rico? I, I know it makes sense for the fire department. The fire department is is asking for it, and we're we we were just listening, right? Captain Richard Burt was like he was listening, and I just have my ear to the ground, and so we're following the needs of of the men and women of the fire and police service. This can have a great impact on on first responders in other islands. I'm looking. I look forward to those conversations because because it's it's applicable in in the states where there's a, a risk where there where people are susceptible, and that's that's coastal areas, right? First, this is a viable solution, and I I think that you know the, those the conversation that we're having in Puerto Rico, we can have have happen anywhere. Yeah. And there's an urgency to it it's as a well. Great urgency. Yeah. And the government's kind of inability to to implement quickly and in, in an or with the, or with the urgency, yeah. let me say. I kind of jumped that and I went straight to where I could be effective, which was on the ground, literally standing on a fire station and not in a boardroom mm-hmm. or in a you know government office. I was like, now that we're we have we have this proof of concept, now that we we need the government as a, they're a partner, it's time to to sit down and and have these honest conversations about what are the most effective tools, strategies, partners that we can bring in to increase Puerto Rico's resiliency for the next 200 years, knowing that climate change is one of the biggest risks to the, that whole region. Mm-hmm. How are you approaching organizations and brands? Because you see this as clearly a commercial opportunity for them as well to build brand relevance and brand value. Every brand today is embracing purpose as a mission. Surely that must be an opportunity for you as well to start conversations in the corporate sector about yeah. getting brands to step up, whether it be through their CSR budgets or directly from their marketing budgets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's corporations, they're in business, you're supposed to be in touch with your end user. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be in touch with the community, right, who, who you're selling your products to and so on. Tesla, they donated a lot and Sunrun donated donated as well, and they were a great partner. 
I think we can all teach each other something that, that, that these big solar companies and the corporate companies, they offer um, so much in, in terms of risk and, mm-hmm. and com, you know, even compassion, you know, what, what it means to be a responsible company. And I think I think we can teach them about partnering with communities and how effect, how to effectively carry out their CSR, their values because we share a lot we share an interest in saving the planet anybody you speak with at tesla or these big companies right they're environmentalists and they're they're they want to end the fossil fuel industry's influence on government and in our society and so we share a lot but we just have to we have to listen to each other and uh, because we just have a lot to offer do you think you're going to face as you scale this do you think you're going to face resistance from the fossil fuel industry because you are undermining their, their core business model Yes, there's a lot of power that we're going to face, or a lot of interests we're going to face. You know, there's the diesel generators, yeah. there, right? There's diesel generators. Let me just say they they have a they have a place right now for sure. I'm not knocking the whole thing. Redundancy is important. We're not in a perfect world, and solar is and batteries are not perfect, but they are the best solution we have right now, and they're the best for for Puerto Rico. So yeah, I mean we're we're and if, and if Captain Richard Burt is yeah. telling everyone they need to need to, I think we've got to pay attention. Yeah, we yeah we got to pay attention. It's we're we're doing this with a with a strict purpose of empowerment. So I'm not trying to to destroy the fossil fuel industry. I'm not like my interest as I said I kind of said before I'm not my interest is not to tell Puerto Rico how they should power their island. This is just a common sense solution to save lives. To save lives for a critical need and that's the mission and it's important that I think to be effective in our mission we have to stick to it. Conversations about who we're looking to overtake, it's not effective. I just, what I know is from, from firsthand is that diesel generators, there's a better tool um, in the toolbox and that's solar and, and, and battery storage. It's, it's not diesel generators. How does curiosity and creativity contribute to the work that you do? You know, the creative side, it, it's, it's having, starting your own nonprofit there's creativity in relationships, mm-hmm. managing relationships. There's curiosity in, in learning about new sectors and new, you know, there's things I, I never knew about. S- solar, like the, the engineering of solar, I didn't know anything about. But now it's something I'm very curious to learn more about being in Puerto Rico, which I was never in Puerto Rico before Hurricane Maria. Now I've been there 11 times and moving there on January 3rd. You know, but there's also something about Puerto Rico. There's also like a familiarity. You know, it feels like when I'm there, when I'm in San Juan, I, I feel like I'm, I'm almost in New York. When I'm, when I'm in the mountains in Laris, I feel a, a closeness with nature the lifestyle and a curiosity to to want to experience more of it. It's a beautiful island and deserves to be protected and it deserves, you know, deserves everything. Okay. What principles do you stand by? Mm -hmm. Or live by? I think listen, listening first, keeping your mouth closed and your ears open always first. When you're a white guy, white guy who's straight, who's, you know, I'm heterosexual, I fit in that box. And, you know, I, I think it's it's critical for me to to f- 
to gain empathy is to is to listen. We we have to listen. And then when we want to talk, we have to listen some more. It's really really important. I would say another uh, rule of thumb. This is like it's life, business, it's everything. Is is not to react, but to let things play out a bit. Don't always go with your first reaction. Although it it is right a lot of the time. There it can also. You know, you can also kick yourself when when you're wrong. But things take time to play out. They do. You know, we we all get into, you know, we all get into places of loneliness and isolation. And and it's important to feel that, to be in that place and recognize it and know that things will get better. You just have to stick to it. Let it play out a little bit. That's, That's brought me through a lot of times. A lot of dark times, yeah. What hard choices have you had to make that might have been tough at the time but have turned out to be the right decision? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say I haven't... My, the tough choices that I've, that I've had to make, I, I think I've mitigated. So I've, I've... It's kind of a survival instinct. We grew up in a, in a poor middle-class home in Manhattan, and so... There, there was a bit of a of survival mentality that, that I always had. I always had plan C. So, you know, when plan B failed, I, I had backups. And I was always, ne- I was never afraid of leaving something or quitting it if it didn't feel right. You know, if, if my, if there was a gut instinct, which I said I was, you know, I was usually right. There was definitely times I probably should have stuck it out, but, but it was just an instinct of mine to just want to quit something or a job or a relationship or, you know, one time I was in nursing school when I was 25, I was a BMCC and, and I, you know, I left a year in, a year and a half in because I knew that wasn't right for me, that track. So I've, you know, I've, I've just, just through my upbringing learned to mitigate those things mm-hmm. and it's, it's sheltered me from, you know, outside of a few like really heartbroken relationships that I've been <laughs> with, it sheltered me from, you know, from place you know like ultimate like failing kind of not knowing where i was going mm-hmm. yeah okay where do you go to discover new ideas nature mm-hmm. i need to leave new york not just new york just leave a city you know and and that idea like just for instance solar responders that idea was in puerto rico N- yeah nature is my it's my it's where i get energy it's where i i get ideas creativity if, I, if I'm not in nature, I, I have something to remind me of, of it, an artifact or something that where it brings me back to a time and a place where I can literally, you know, like transport myself in my mind. Okay. Yeah. What's your perspective on failure? I think failure, it's, I think it's an, it's, it's something to, it t- not be afraid of but but it's important to understand that it's going to happen this is not a perfect world and your vision doesn't happen overnight and it's going to take a few times for you to figure for me to figure things out right it took me i've i've had jobs everything from a park ranger when i was 24 in, in riverside park to a babysitter to nursing school to a bartender like i've had so many different types of jobs so th- those aren't and i've quit them and i've moved on but those aren't failures they're they're a time and a place where i was i was happy but this type of this type of 
work is is a is a lifelong happiness. And I, I, I don't know of anything else I would want to be doing. I, I, I see failure as an inevitability that needs to be mitigated in some way. And I, I don't think, I don't necessarily believe failure exists. I just feel like something just wasn't right, you know, just wasn't your time or, or you know, wasn't my time or my place. And that's, that's, that's what life is. And that's what we all go through. Who's made you reevaluate yourself? I who's made me reevaluate? I'm sure your myself? sister's done a few times when you've been in these bad relationships. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. My, you know, my family has. They, they've been my core. I've been able to in in those times of uncertainty. I I have them to go to. I got to say that you know I, I I've waited through those times and. As time happens, there's those creative moments, as you mentioned before, you know, those creative moments, those moments of collaboration. If maybe it could be even a conversation mm-hmm. that I have with someone on the street that inspire me to want to do something or do it in a diff- something in a different way. So it's just it's kind of time. I think time is an inspiration. And I really credit just just being and experiencing the world. OK. Yeah. How do you keep up with technology? I mean, you're obviously at the cutting edge of certain technologies in, yeah. in renewable energy. True. Um, how do I keep up with technology? It's something that I, I never had a very close affiliation with. I remember my Apple II when I was you know, five years old. I loved that computer. <laughs> but I, I leave technology a bit to the experts. And it was never my strongest suit or my interest. But I see the, the value of it and appreciate the value of it and those doing the work in it and want to learn more about it. And as it becomes more part of our lives, adapting to it, I guess. Mm. Okay. Well, I suspect you're going to be learning a lot about oh, yes. <laughs> battery oh, yes. technology soon. So the technology side, I, I, I'm hyper interested in it because that's how we're going to receive energy in the future. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to acknowledge and appreciate mm-hmm. and, and want to be, you know, instinctually just want to learn more about it because we're probably at one point, like soon, we're going to have batteries in our homes. Oh, um, I mean, there's no There's no, there's question. no question about it. Um, impossible question. What would your advice be to someone that's maybe about to graduate, go to study, has got a dream, goal, grand ambition, but it's been told, you'll never do that. That's impossible. Mm. I think that, you know, those people who say no, they're the ones that never tried. And you have to, you have to try, you know, day by day. Each day you take a step in, in, in the direction that you want to go. And then the next day you take another step. You're certainly living that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so fortunate and appreciative of, of where I am and the opportunity that I've been given in Puerto Rico and, and the fire department there it, and the community that's embraced what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It takes it takes us, you know, special type of like energy, like person to to commit to that and to, to follow it because it's easy. You know, I, I can always go back to the you know, private or public sector and get a job and sit at a desk. And that's, that's there, you know, because of the work I've done. But to follow your own path is a extremely special opportunity and something that we don't have, you know, we're, we're limited in our time. So taking advantage of the time that you that you can, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just just do it. Take advantage of it now. For anybody graduating, do it. Just take advantage. Okay. We have a question, which is what's the one problem worth solving? But I think you've, you've already decided your big one right now and you're doing it, which is obviously solar. But mm-hmm. if you could return to one night or day in history, where, when, um, and with who? Or to see who? Mm. I think, you know, marching in Montgomery, Alabama, you know, that would be that would be the type of revolution, uh, the type of energy, the movement that I would I would want to be around. Yeah, you'd be at home there. Yeah, I would I would feel at home there. The intent of people to live their most Mm -hmm. to live up to their fullest ideals and and you know dignity and respect and and fighting for that you know something we can all um, test to today i would want to be there at that moment fighting fighting side by side okay what's your go-to karaoke song Go to karaoke song. Yeah. Oh man! When you, when you and Scarlett are out for your night on the West Village, fight for your right to party. I don't know. You know, it's uh, be- anything Beastie Boys. That's a nice one. Yeah. Let me think. Yeah. Mm. Beastie Boys is fine. Yeah, I'm it's, quite it's happy pretty good. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's you know everybody loves a good party, so I think Beastie Boys. Yeah. yeah. Best recent Netflix Amazon series mm. that that your sister didn't play a part in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Man, I need to catch up. It doesn't have to be recent. Just Sup- something. Sopranos. I mean, like they're on Netflix, but that was HBO. Yeah. But that's yeah. like my favorite show of all time. So I haven't watched anything recently, to be frank. That's all right. Sopranos is a good one. It's a classic. Yep. What book would you like us to offer? Uh, one of uh, uh, there's three listeners that come up with the best comments in the comment section. So I. I just I'm finishing soon. I'm actually probably have this interview. I'll finish. Terry Tempest Williams Erosion is she is an amazing man. That that her words just transfer to me so well. This summer I took a road trip, a solo road trip out to Oregon, Washington, Utah, Arizona, Montana. I visited about like 25, maybe more national parks. I, I went to uh, Navajo Nation, the Four Corners area. Oh, wow, that must have been something else. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. And I was the the energy of that of that area just transferred to me. And I saw kind of beyond my lifetime. I saw into the past. I saw very deep into the past and the future. And time almost didn't exist when I was there. It was really, really, really special. Um, moment, and I just I, I I connected with the book so much. You know, there's obviously this assault currently on um, the current administration on on our natural land, on our public lands, and the natural environment, and it's terrible what, what's going on to to native communities. You know, to to parks all all over the all over the country, and it, it gets me. Think, you know, she talks about our relationship with with the natural environment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about, you know, kind of brings me back to how I can be most effective, you know, and, it, and it's, it's, it's talking about people's connection with their community, with the land. Puerto Rico is and Puerto Ricans are um, so connected with the land. And over the past 
500 years through colonizations of the Spaniards and, and in the U.S., these colonizers have tried to break their will. Puerto Ricans are very, very resilient. And and there's this movement now, you know, it's existed. It's, it's, it's existed, but I think it's resurfaced ever since the, the hurricane, even more so, is, is, is connecting people back to the land. 90% of food in Puerto Rico is imported. That's wow. crazy, that right? Is cra- that is crazy. That's crazy. The the this the you know Puerto Rico sh- once again should be for Puerto Ricans, and they can grow anything yeah. in Puerto Rico. So, so this you know this book by Terry Tempest Williams, Erosion, you know it, it it brings me back to that place of like the, of how important it is to stay connected to the land and respecting natives populations who've existed on these lands for thousands of years. We went to a great exhibition experience called the Arctic Refuge in Greenpoint recently that was being staged by an environmental uh, activist group and it's all about how the there's a law being passed that's a, letting the Arctic Re- Refuge be um, bid on by all the oil companies and no one's allowed to bid on it unless you are prepared to drill for oil there right and it's it's pristine environment. And right. There's salmon breeding grounds. There's. It's been an Indian reservation for years, and it's crazy that this is happening. So, uh, and the, you know, the, these are policies not just of this administration, but of previous ones as oh, well. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah. the, these are these are executive orders that can be mm-hmm. can be overruled, right, with a stroke of a pen, mm-hmm. right? So, one president creates a monument or a prote- creates a protected area, and the next one just erases it, and then all of a sudden, there's permits for for oil and gas drilling. Um, in these areas that are so so special to us, to native populations yeah, and communities, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy, and it's so easy to destroy something. Rather, than, we can take nothing to destroy something, but to create and to conserve that takes real leadership. And and uh, you know, just to bring it back to Puerto Rico, it's something that that you know, when I'm moving down there in a few weeks, it's something that we're we're looking forward to. I'm looking forward to speaking with and engaging with leaders that are, that have foresight and 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 are looking forward to the next 50, 100, 200 years of of existence because that's the type of leadership and outlook that we need. Totally agree. I'm glad that you're going to be part of that. Final question, who should we interview next? Oh, there's so many people. Well, for one, I think, you know, Captain Richard Burtz. There you go. He's one. My board chair, Nita Baum, she she runs a company that she started called Be Free, and they, they do diversity inclusion training with organizations that that do inclusive, inclusivity and mm-hmm. uh, diversity work. You know, often the... Are, are companies that that espouse this or you know they they have these you know messaging that that this is what they represent mm-hmm. oftentimes don't practice it and yeah. and so it's 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 needed like we all need to be talking about these issues and constantly learning and we're not none of us are perfect so so you know Nita does this amazing Nita Baum she does this amazing training with with various groups and she's she's been a true asset to this organization and then to everybody she encounters I, I highly recommend well, her we'll, yeah. we'll, look, we'll look for Richard yeah. and Nita yes just to wrap up to thank you for your time oh, and you. your answers and to acknowledge you for the work that you're doing, I think you are working on an incredibly important 
initiative that has to scale over time. So we wish you all the best Thank with you. that. And what you're doing is really is what I'd see as a selfless pursuit of purpose um, that clearly comes from great parental values that you, they've, that your parents have instilled in you. Family. Family, yeah, the importance of family and family being the broader family. Mm. And I acknowledge you for your empathy and your listening ability and your sense of urgency. Thank you. So thank you very much, Hunter. And um, we look forward to going out on a karaoke night with you one night. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, and, and a fi- <laughs> final question. Your, your favorite film of your sister? Oh, I'm going to go. Your go-to. Oh, man. Saturday, Sunday afternoon, round, round at the Hanson's so, house. So my, my sister's done uh, 50 films, maybe. I mean, it's pretty amazing. So I'm going to go back to, you know, the start. So she did this film, Manny and Low. She was probably 10 at the time. Weren't you in that? I think I was the golf family. There you go. I think you were. <laughs> it was my yeah. one IMBD mm-hmm. credit. So it's funny. Like uh, a few weeks ago, somebody looked me up and they were like, they were, you know, they're telling me, oh, you know, we're, we're interested in writing a script. You might play the part. I read, I searched that you're an actor, and I'm like, are you talking about like the '96 golf family? Yeah, yeah, sure. But that movie was, you know, it was about kind of like running away. It was about finding yourself. It was about inspiration, you know, curiosity. And my sister was amazing in it. And, you know, those were those were formidable times, you know, when we were 10, 11 years old. Those were we, a lot happened in, in, in our lives at that time. So, yeah, she's she that was my favorite movie. I haven't seen she's done so many films. I've probably seen maybe you probably don't get to see her much. Yeah. What's that? You probably don't get to see her very much. Yeah, you know she she's so busy. I I, I wish I wish I got to see her more because it's my twin. She's you probably know? saying the same thing about you. Yeah. He's oh, so, she he's says so the, busy. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know. So we try like things like we, we share so much, and you know we grew up the same with compassion and empathy and all those things that I have, she has, yeah. and and so when I'm doing something, you know she she's always had an interest in anything that I've ever done, whether that was with Scott Stringer or you know now in Puerto Rico. Or in in Rockaway, I mean, you know, she did she did so much for Rockaway, and 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 so you know, I it, it's such a pleasure whenever we can work on something together. You know, it's also important for me to you know continue working on my own things, mm-hmm. just like she does hers. You know, I, I've I've never wanted to be an actor, so um, um, and never will be an actor unless there's you know unless we shoot some documentary about. Puerto Rico, which I'm crossing my fingers for. Definitely, uh, you've definitely got to be doing the documentary. Yeah, we got to film it. You should be documenting. You should be documenting this now. I know. You need to be. You need to get this Instagram. Start a podcast. Yeah, exactly, and get your Instagram uh, strategy working. We'll come. We'll come. Yeah, come, come to Puerto Rico. Yeah. Yes, we share so much. We're constantly talking, and she's always wanting to, you know, know how she can get engaged because she. She knows that these issues are important. She knows that things have, you know, we need new, innovative ways of doing things. And so she's, she's at the cutting edge and always wanting to support. That's great. Yeah. Okay, folks, that's it for this week. If you like the show, please subscribe and ideally give us a five-star rating and a review because it helps more people find us. Just go to iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player to listen and subscribe. If you want to learn more, or have someone you'd like us to interview, just visit theimpossiblenetwork.com or DM us on Instagram at The Impossible Network. This show is an Impossible Network production and is produced by Bettina McKaylee and Elaine Castillo-Keller. But for now, be curious, be creative, and seek out serendipity. See you next time.